Hi, everyone. Welcome to another week of Crunch with Leslie Wisniewski, the producer of this podcast, and Caldrick and David, the game master of the podcast. Yep, still the game master. They haven't kicked me out yet. Is that a thing that they can do? Everyone just kind of votes and then you're not the game master anymore? You lose all your powers? I mean, they can just, they can't vote, but they could rise up against me. Ah. They have more power than they know. That's why you have to keep them divided. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, so let's dive into the last two episodes. Uh, kicking off two mm-hmm. episodes ago, we had one of our first, like, I would say boss fights. Yeah. Uh, yes. I, I wouldn't say Duke Luca counts as a boss. I would disagree. Duke Luca was totally a boss. He just seems so silly. He was silly, He's but he not, was a boss. Like a, a demonic goat figure is much more like boss. More like boss versus <laughs> like, I'm an old man on a pier. <laughs> <laughs> I've been up to no good. <laughs> Ooh, you, you scalawags. Yeah, it was It was different. You know, it was also a boss or intended to be was that like two-headed snake, but then they befriended it instead, so it wasn't a boss. I thought about the Amphisbama as a boss, but you're right. With Christie's where touch shifter abilities focusing in the world of Snake, she was able to convince it that she was its Medusa, and that was a whole combat they didn't get to have. It's not that they didn't get to have it, that they did this other thing instead. I guess uh, there is just no option for that sort of a route this time, because instead of dealing with a snake creature, they were dealing with a demonic outsider. Right, yeah, like there's just, there's no, there's not a lot of reasoning with demons. I mean, there can be, it depends on the situation, obviously. But like, you know, it's always good to approach things with dungeon ecology, think about what's been happening in mind. And in my mind, I've always, I kind of came with this idea that whatever happened, you know, eons ago in this place, in the bronze pyramid, this evil goat creature, this Bramorak. Oh, that's it's, what it's, that's what it's called? It's called the Bramorak. I think it's out of, I want to say BCRA 5 or something. For Pathfinder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a um, little tiny goat creature. Pretty cool, though. I thought it was a, it's got a whole weird slew of abilities. Very violent little evil beast. And my concept is that, you know, they're immortal. And so he has been trapped in the bottom of this, like, place. Well, that, for... would, even, that would even make me grumpy. Yeah, yeah. So he's just pissed. Like, he is just enraged. And, like, I think it was just ready to, like, lash out violently at the first thing he saw. That's so interesting and fun. I don't know why in my head it felt like, oh, they went down there and he w- appeared, but the notion that he's just been down there for hundreds of years mm-hmm. tracks a little clearer for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it wouldn't have made sense, like, oh, you go down to the bottom of the pyramid that's never been open for hundred years, and there's a family of bears, and they're grumpy. Because you ate their porridge. Yeah, like, well, the- like, we you know, we went out of our way to be like, this place has been sealed, it's abandoned, blah, blah, blah. Right, it took a whole day to... Just to get inside mm-hmm. of it. So like, nothing, there can't be living things. You know, like, it's like, that's why things like oozes and constructs and outsiders like, who are immortal, like, make good kind of dungeon setting. Yeah, just for folks that aren't as familiar, uh, maybe with Pathfinder or 5th edition stuff, how would you define uh, an outsider? Outsiders mean anything that's not from our, well, our, our pretty big air quotes, the standard world, right? Like, anything that comes from heaven or hell or the abyss or the maelstrom or the boneyard. Like, these are the other planes that you want to get into, like... This is like starts to get like it's funny when you start talking about planner stuff because then it starts to get like it's already pretty nerdy. This is all really nerdy, but then it gets like really nerdy once you're like, <laughs> all right, here I want to talk to you about Axis and the endless city on a rim and like. Is that a thing? Oh yeah, for what? Lawful neutral. 
Oh, very yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. We kind of dabbled with that before in Amiota with the inevitables. Yeah, yeah. We like we're definitely as a party no stranger to outsiders, Mm-mm. but I think it's exciting to see them kind of finding their way into the jungle. Yeah, yeah. So what I kind of wanted to make clear in the bronze pyramid, one of the big information I'm trying to give to the players, right, is that. The Venara who lived here were conjurationists. They like they loved to summon outsiders. They had a big relationship with creatures from other planes. That's like a big part of their society. Mm-hmm. And I wanted and like a way to showcase that is like all these like little tiny hints about it, right? Like here's a big summoning room. They clearly use it in a civic purpose. And like, you know, and that's why we came able to say like something went wrong, blah blah blah. And now this demon that the Venara summoned a million years ago, well not a million, but like a thousand years ago has been trapped here. Yeah, not only are you trying to challenge the players in a combat setting, but you're also trying to do a little bit of an information drop. As a, as someone on the other side of the table, typically, it doesn't often feel that way. It often just feels like, oh, you've gone really far and worked really hard. Great. Here's one last big bad to test all your skills in metal. Mm, though that is kind of like the boss battle, right? Like that's the the we talked about this a little bit last week, I think, with the with the five, the five room, room dungeon, dungeon and like how a boss battle could be anywhere. And I like that. That's a fun approach. Though this is an example of the, the boss battle is at the end, the classic boss battle. Yeah. And what do boss battles do? And like what that is? I mean, it's what a, bo- a boss battle is. Right? Is just a, a greater challenge. It's the greatest challenge in a series of challenges. Right? Is the boss battle. And what makes it kind of important, I think, is that you're right, it's the big moment where everyone gets tested in a way. It's the most thrilling of the battles in some senses it should be. Sometimes they get, sometimes boss battles, of course, can get like defeated immediately. Like people find a clever solution, things just go a different way, and the fight ends in a way that is maybe not anticlimactic, but just in a sense of like you, you, as a GM especially, like you kind of saw it maybe being a little bit more long or like a little bit more harrowing. Yeah. But that's okay. Like I think like letting players sometimes like get like, you know, really succeed against like an intimidating and ferocious enemy is like a really empowering moment for them. So like let those happen when they happen. Yeah. Don't don't, like hold it against people, I guess. Right. I have a distinct memory uh, a couple campaigns ago of Christy using her witch to just put an entire encounter to sleep. I remember that encounter very, very well because I spent a lot of time preparing for it <laughs> and had a really clever idea of like a whole bunch of like little fighters in a room that mm-hmm. like all had good grappling abilities and their idea was to like they would grab people and throw them down these holes where an evil giant ooze would eat them up and it was a really cool idea for an encounter and I loved it so much and then like yeah, our one of our players playing a well, witch. it was Christy. It was Oh, right. Yeah, God, it was Christy. Yeah. Christy playing her witch character just cast a spell in the room. All of their will saves were garbage and they all fell asleep and you guys just killed them. And it went to the fight, which I had like honestly been like preparing for for like for months. I was like so excited about because I thought it was so clever and like it ended immediately, basically. And you know what? You let them have it. Of course. Yeah. You just let them have it. That's how it's, I, a, it's a fun little win. That's how it went down. Well, I think that th- there's something to be said there because as much as players are on the receiving end of story and chance and things going ways that they don't anticipate it's the same for gms Mm -hmm. 100 percent, 100 percent. and like that's always true too is like there are also encounters that you'll prepare as a gm which you don't see as being a boss battle right or you see as being 
not at this enormous hard fight, right? But then something it just is for whatever reason, like it, like yeah, you know, pe- it's, people aren't rolling well. They're not rolling well, or like it's just like something like it turns out they're immune to like a big ability that your players rely on, or like all sorts of little things can suddenly make a, what looks like kind of a more average encounter become a lot more difficult. Mm-hmm. So, how would you define? Like what are the what are the factors that make a boss battle a boss battle? Obviously it's not necessarily coming at the end of a dungeon. It's not. It's I think what all it just sets apart is that the boss battle is a greater threat than the rest of like the things around it. Also I think they're generally unavoidable. Hmm. Right? Like you can have like some of like you could do an avoidable boss encounter. Like I like Nawadis turned out to be kind of avoidable in a way the yeah. the, the Ampus Banna. But um but they still have to deal with it. Right. right? It, it wasn't a fight, but they still, the yeah, creature still had to be dealt with. The snake didn't go away on the river. Right. It kept following them. It kept being a persistent uh, threat, let's mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That That's interesting. I, I've never really thought about it that way. I think they're like, there tend to be, I think I always kind of think of the boss of a dungeon as like the star of the dungeon. Mm. Right? The dungeon, so, and like, if it can, I don't know if the, the Bronze Pyramid did this well, but like, uh, if it can, the the dungeon and its boss should sort of be in conversation with each other, hmm. right? Like, if it's the star of the show, then the show should be about the boss a little bit. Like, everything kind of, like, leads up to that or all, like, things can, like, be clues and foreshadowing to this, like, l- later encounter. Yeah, that's true. Like, I, I have a couple distinct memories of being in dungeons, having fought a boss, and then going into the next room and being like, oh, there's potions for exactly the thing that it... Did de- dealt damage to us for mm-hmm. or something of that nature, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the boss doesn't exist in, in a void. I mean, if I had to wager for me as a player, what makes a boss a boss is, you know, someone. It would be very difficult for someone to square off with a boss one on one and not almost always, right? Like yeah, the, the idea of like fighting one on one against a boss like is suicide. Yeah, basically, and, and like as a team. Yeah, and mm-hmm. that's that's I think what makes role play games distinct from from video games or other things of that nature is that this isn't for someone to go and be the the shining hero by themselves. This is something that requires skills from everyone. Everyone's different skills and abilities are put to the test, and I think that's boss battles are where we see that happen the most effectively. Yeah, I agree completely. Like a good boss battle should have everybody a moment to shine in some way. I mean, like it's just all—it's all good encounter building, is what it all kind of boils down to. But like the the cherry on top is always the boss battle. Yeah, almost every campaign you're gonna run is gonna end with a big ass boss battle, right? Mm-hmm. And so, it's like there are encounters that you want to think through. They they should have interesting things happening. Like it's not just about. It's also a boss battle. Isn't always just about the. Boss, but it's about the area you're in too, right? Like, let's think about this previous fight with the Bramorak. They were on a little, like, platform surrounded by a steep drop. Oh, yeah. The Bramorak, he could use his flying ability to skate around the players a little bit and get out of the way. He was flying above, like, nothing for a lot of it, so they couldn't really reach him. It created a bigger challenge for the party. Like, they they had been relying a lot on being able to reach their opponents just by walking up and attacking. And this time they had to move around a lot. They had to rely a bit, they had to think more ranged and tactically. Some of their more reliable, reliant abilities were going to be worthless against the Bramark, especially like Damius had a lot he could do because a lot of his stuff was more reliant on, like, fear-based stuff that wasn't going to work. That's true. Well... The Bramorak was not the only exciting thing to happen in the last couple episodes. 
Uh, in fact, I'm pretty sure there was a fantastic research montage of Damius in the library, piling books, studying late into the night, right. reading by candlelight, calling over Cheldi. Cheldi ignores him. <laughs> it was drama at the heights of drama. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, it was a good, like, little, yeah, like, what is, like, a good research montage out of, like, Buffy or something? Exactly. Uh, but I actually wanted to, to talk a little bit about, about research. Okay. Um, it's something that you see every once in a while, but it's another kind of skill-based challenge to help do drops of information and hopefully give players insights into the world that they are existing in. Yeah, I really like research rules. They were introduced in Ultimate Intrigue, but they've been around for a little bit before that, I think. We used them in Mummy's Mask. We played through Mummy's Mask. Yes. There was a little section where you had to go through a bunch of libraries. Yeah, oh, there's nothing There's nothing like being an intelligence build and having a bunch of knowledges and then having to do research challenges because, man, oh, man, do you feel good because essentially – the better your roll, the better your score when you are rolling research checks. You are essentially dealing damage mm-hmm. to the space. You are using all of your skills and insights to get every scrap of knowledge that you can from this place. Yeah, it's really fun. I like that a lot about those. Um, I'll kind of like briefly explain how yeah. these work. So um, a research rule, according to the rules in Ultimate Intrigue, basically – is that you have a library. And a library doesn't have to technically be even a library. It's just a place where you are getting information out of. Like, you could run a campaign, which would be really kind of fun, where, like, the library is, like, a crime scene, right? Mm. Like, And then, like, you're doing research at a crime... You're just, like, looking through the crime scene, trying to find all the clues. Deductions. Right. And But, like, you could be making, like, you know, then you make, like, knowledge of... You know, you make a heel check and, like... Blah. If you get high enough, then you can do, you know, make the, the D8 heal roll or whatever, add your intelligence, and, like, there's a set amount of HP at a crime scene, and, like, every time you it loses HP, you get more information. Um, it's a really fun way, it's a really active way to kind of in- make these sorts of, like, knowledge checks engaging. Yeah, instead of just, like, perception check, perception check, perception check. Yeah, instead check. of just perception check, perception check, or, like, you go into the... It's harder because like, I think before things like this, it was like, oh, we want to do research. It's like, okay, I guess go into a library. Maybe you find the book. I don't know. Like, Yeah, it's not like our players have access to Google. They can't just, you know, type in what happened in Poema a thousand right. years ago. I think in like, the, like Christy and Alan, <laughs> I think definitely were expecting me to do things more like that. <laughs> like they wanted like, I want to know specifically about this. And, I'm, and I have to kind of be more like, well, you're reading through ancient texts. Nothing's organized well. You're going to get what I give you. Yeah, you're, and also you have to translate all of it. Yeah, exactly. It's all being translated. Like, that's not really how real research works. And so we're going to kind of do it in this other system. And I really like research rules this way. Um, and we're going to use it maybe going forward. I like the idea a lot of it, that like you have to kind of sit down, do research, learn more about the world through this research um, and it makes it really engaging. It's, you're right. It's something fun for like more knowledge based characters to kind of use. It's something that they don't really get to ever really shine with. And so it kind of helps it like give it a big shiny little moment. A little sparkle. Yeah. I think specifically for this campaign, why I'm enjoying it as a listener is the whole point of this trip that everyone's on is to an archaeological dig site. It is a research trip. It's a, it's a going out into the field kind of trip to learn things. That's right. So, I mean, I love that research is really kind of having more of a hand in it. Everyone's from this college, right? So everyone's trying to learn. It's a, it's a bit more educational. And that, I think, bends 
towards the the themes that you're already working with. Yeah, and it was another way to kind of divide up the uh, the time being spent. The problem that there are with research rules as they exist is that it doesn't make sense for more than one player to re- or one or two to be really doing it at once. You know, like it doesn't the rest of the party doesn't have like a whole lot to do while someone else is maybe making these research rules. Mm-hmm. Um so what that's why they fit so well I felt like with my little Time system. My time system, right, is like someone can be doing research while someone else is like talking to a friend and someone else is scouting the jungle. And, and someone was... else is putting bugs in tents. That's right, yeah. <laughs> Just filling everybody's tents up with bugs. I mean, it worked. It did work. It was, it was... I liked coming up with like, these little goofy challenges for all the NPCs. They each have like these little seated goofy quests in there at different points where it's like, oh, like help me sell bug spray or feed sweet pea some food like there's a bunch of these little like gooby quests like mini quests yeah like just and they're just meant to they're just opportunities for us to interact more with the npcs right yeah it's giving context for role play which i think is good because if you aren't if your npc's function is not to just straight up provide information or sell goods it becomes difficult i think in the player mindset to justify fostering like intimate relationships with them. Mm -hmm. Right. So once again, we're coming back to giving players opportunities to invest in the NPCs that they're on this journey with. Exactly. It's a lot of role play prompts. Yeah. So we have, we have like our, our primary characters as the PCs. We have our secondary characters, which are a lot of the, um, the NPCs in the expedition group. And now I feel like we're starting to hit some tertiary characters with uh, with Little Cloud out in the jungle as well. We're going to see more and more tertiary characters who are just residents of Orchid Valley. Yeah, because it, it's not like – I think there's this weird like an incorrect perception whenever we look at like the pulp backlog of jungle novels that like when you go in the jungle, there's no one and you're alone. Oh, I mean, or it's like wild, evil savages. Right. And – in this, it's like there are people who just go about their business, like little clown on her big old copy. Isn't that fun? Giant I Okapi. love that. I love Okapi. So it was fun to, oh, it just, it's a great mental image. This giant woman on an Okapi, like riding through the jungles. I thought it was pretty fun. Yeah. yeah. It's a cool idea. Yeah. And it was fun that she, oh man, she dealt so much damage to that monster that was sneaking up on the PCs too. She, yeah, she's a, she is a, um, a jungle giant, which I don't know what beast here I pulled that out of, I think three or four or something like that. Mm-hmm. She's a jungle giant. She's got the young template. She's a young jungle giant. She's running a huge Okapi or something like that. It's just like this crazy kind of like combination, but she still does a bunch of damage with an arrow. She's like a CR9 creature or something like that. Oh, that's very cool. Uh, and speaking of speaking of creatures, let's talk a little bit about that wild cat with the snakes coming out of it, which... Oh, my Commodon? Yeah, I'll be frank with you. Bizarre. It is a favorite of mine, the Commodon. It is a goofy, goofy creature. And Pathfinder came out of like Beastiary 2, right? And mm-hmm. But before that, it's out of like, I think an older Fiend folio from like, I want to say the 80s or 70s. I I don't really know the whole, the whole entire history of like this creature, but it's definitely, definitely one of those like weird ass old like D&D creatures where it was like just stick two animals together and make them kind of goofy and that's a monster it's a big cat with snakes coming out of its back yeah how many snakes many. four there are four snakes coming out of the back of a commodon like, why four there's four of them and but here's the thing the snakes they breathe like a cloud of like knockout gas Ugh, awful like why why any of these abilities 
I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I can't justify any of this, but it's awesome. It's so goofy. Like, I, that's kind of what I love about the Commandant is like, like, A, it feels like, like, what I like about it, especially in this sense, is that it feels like it has like this kind of jungle, like, thing, right? It's like a, it's a jungle cat and a bunch of snakes kind of mixed together. Okay. And so like, yeah, why not? It's a magical beast that can live in a jungle and that works for like what this is. But it is a very goofy creature. I don't know what kind of tradition it comes out of. I don't think I'm almost I'm almost positive that it's not based on any sort of like mythology. And there's a lot of like D and D and Pathfinder monsters, more so in like older D and D history. Pathfinder tends to rely a lot more on mythology or pop culture to draw monsters from. Like mm-hmm. so there are some original stuff. Well, here here's a question: out of like the Pathfinder monsters that you've seen, like what is just very clearly like, oh, this has got to be a pop. Co- culture reference because i think it's fun to kind of see those moments in kind of the the text of the gaming system sure there's a bunch of those that are from pop culture that have made their way into like actual like stats there's the mothman oh really oh yeah mothman slenderman um what else uh boogeymen are in pathfinder they're kind of fairy oh so cool yeah things like like there's like you know i know there's a lot more that have come out of like different like more more recent traditions, gremlins, like, you know, gremlins didn't exist until, like, what, I think World War One, World War Two, something mm-hmm. like that. Like, it was the idea of where gremlins came from. And now they're a whole, like, kind of subspecies in, like, Pathfinder. They're like, little tiny guys, and they cause bad luck, and they destroy machines. Oh, I love that. That's mm-hmm. so fun. Yeah, I feel like there's this notion that, like, all the monsters that have ever existed have always existed, and that's not necessarily true. I think that, you know, humanity is very capable of coming up with, with new horrifying things. There's always new ways to scare ourselves. Yeah, honestly, like, Dementors, I think, are a kind of new monster that, That's like... That's a good idea. I don't know how I'd stat up a Dementor. Yeah. Hmm. That's something, like, something to ponder. Well, like, I don't want to get too into it, because now I'm thinking about it. <laughs> Wait, a Dementor... Has anyone made a Dementor yet? Or something that's, like, not a Dementor? But, but, like, is, it, but totally Yeah, like, is. with, it's like, with like the serial number filed off? I, I don't know. know. I think the issue is, like, people would, like, write them up. Like, things like Dementors exist, but they're all undead. Mm. Right? Like, like there's a bunch of, like, spectrally kind of, like, evil creatures that, that are... suck your soul. I think we could make Dementors. I wouldn't make them undead. I'd probably make them, like, monstrous humanoids of some sort. Oh, very cool. Right? I think they're alive. Dementors aren't dead. No, they definitely seem to... Because, like, they're in employment, right? Like, they're employed yeah, they're, by the school. They're I, working for a prison. Also, okay, we can't get into Let's the, get into Harry Potter's no, stupidity. No, let's, let's, not, let's not get into those logistics. <laughs> I think uh, the internet's done. So here's my us. problem with Quidditch. Stop. <laughs> We're stop right there. Otherwise, this thing's going to really spiral out of control. <laughs> I definitely think that out, that out of the Harry Potter world, Dementors are a monster that really stuck with me and obviously for all of us there are monsters that like kind of like still hover really close to the top of like our mental space and it sounds like i'm sure as a game master you because you're diving into a bucket full of monsters all the time have ones that you prefer using yeah that's true there's definitely monsters that i use almost every campaign some of them are favorites some of them maybe just like i understand how to use the monster really well and i like it for that reason mm-hmm. um like i like ghouls a lot i use ghouls in almost every campaign they were in they were a mythos manual they killed the Ulister. 
I like Whiptail Centipedes that popped up in this one. And I like Commodon. Commodon popped up in this one. And I don't like Commodon. I like Commodon because of how goofy they are. It was like one of those things where it's like I ironically liked something. And I ironically like something enough. And then you just like it. You just like it. Eventually, it just like becomes a favorite. Just own up to the fact that you maybe have bad taste. (laughs) Maybe you just like this weird jaguar with snakes come out of its back. Um... (laughs) Just be honest with yourself. Just be true to thyself. <laughs> There's a lot of those monsters, because like a lot of those monsters that are so goofy, like some of them are mythology, but a lot of them were just made. Like there's an old story about like they had like a bunch of like old plastic minis, because mm-hmm. like, there weren't old like good Who's monster they? minis. I'm sorry. Oh, back in the day, like Gary Gygax, Dave Arneson kind of era of like mm-hmm. early ass Dungeons and Dragons, they had to create monsters. There weren't any minis for monsters yet. They bought a, they bought like this like pack of like this like really cheap dollar store pack of like plastic Chinese toys. I think they were supposed to be like Godzilla knockoffs and stuff like that, or like mm-hmm. prehistoric animals. Mm-hmm. But like you know, the it was the seventies and the molds were terrible and like there wasn't good color on anything, mm-hmm. so they just looked kind of like random ass animals and monsters they took those minis and came up with stats around them and that's how we got things like owl bears and rust monsters um and a couple other like really kind of iconic monsters today is that they just came out as like a weird pack of of toys it's fascinating to hear all the different places that monsters can come from whether it's from like old mythology whether it's from pop culture or just a bunch of minis that everyone got really stoned i feel like and sat around and was like well this looks kind of like an owl and a bear owl bear owl bear (laughs) (laughs) almost in a way that's like pokemon every game master probably has his top cards his his key team of monsters that he likes to throw at his players i use Kamadon really really prominently in a campaign year and years ago and since then they've just kind of stuck out to me as like a, such a goofy monster that like I've used them in other ways since and like and that's how things end up in your campaigns right like you remember an older campaign where you use the same monster and you grow attached to that memory of it and it makes you want to use it again which then makes more memories of that monster and then you can kind of look back at your like all your GMing and playing experiences be like how many times I fought this blank kind of like demon or creature or whatever and it's just kind of fun. It's kind of fun to be able to have that kind of history with just this kind of – with a, a concept. Yeah. And I mean there's definitely something to be said for like having a degree of familiarity with a combat, right? And it doesn't necessarily mean that it's like all ghouls all the time or all commandants all the time. But it's nice to kind of have that familiarity, especially since you're you're running the monster, right? Like that mm-hmm. has to make things easier too. Yeah, yeah. It was actually a shame that the Commandant died so quick. I thought he'd get like a round or two. I didn't realize how exa- like how powerful Little Cloud was going to be. You underestimated the Little Cloud. I did. Well, I just, I knew I wanted to introduce Little Cloud like around this time. Like my I had in my notes, like Little Cloud's going to appear to the group within the first or second major exploration out into the jungle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when they were out exploring, I rolled for a combat. They had a combat. And then I have a little chart that I created. And I rolled for the Commandant. I was like, and like, and I, and so those things all just kind of happened together. Where I'm like, okay, so it's going to be a Commandant that attacks them. Little Cloud's going to intervene, which ended up being fun. And it's, it's a good little moment. And I like how it works out. But for the I do sort of wish I got to play a little bit more with that Commandant before it died. Aww. Yeah, it's a shame. And then Kafka took its pelt and used it to buy potions. Yep, 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 yep. That's fun. It is fun. I liked that. Was that was a clever use of bartering. Yeah, I like things like that. Like I, I really do enjoy if players can find 
good treasure out of a monster, even if a monster doesn't necessarily like, carry a gold. sword or gold or something, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, but like, because why would they? Exactly. Well, some do. Sure, right? Like some right. evil whatever yes. dragon. But I mean, whatever, a commandant in the jungle doesn't have no. four swords being held by its snakes on top of its back. Oh, that'd be a fun build. Oh crap! I feel like I'm gonna <laughs> face this sword wielding oh, no. commandant in the future now. Yep. Oh. <laughs> Well, fantastic. I, I had a blast talking to you about boss fights, about monsters, and about research. One of those things is my favorite. Hmm. It's the research. Uh, well, thank you again for sitting down and chatting with me per usual. Well, shoot, of course. And we'll see you guys next time on the Mythos Manual. We'll see what other kinds of monsters are creeping out of the darkness of the jungle and threatening our dear party. I'm the greatest boss of all. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to the Mythos Manual. Be sure to check us out on our socials at Mythos Manual or our website, mythosmanual.com. May all your rolls be 20s.